Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that your word speaks to us uh, not just truth that is true, uh, but truth that, that, that tells us about what reality really is. Uh, that it blows our minds into revealing uh, eternity past into the present and into the eternity future. That it really does shape our understanding of who we are, uh, what we're here for, where we're heading, and what do we have to look forward to. As we come to this uh, important topic, this foundational topic of being united with Christ, we pray that you really sharpen our minds to be able to understand these truths, but even more so that you will soften our hearts and that you would fill it uh, with a grace um, uh, of just what an amazing thing it is that we can be united with your son, that it would shape and transform our lives so we never have to worry about who we are and what our purpose is on, in this life but that we'll be able to see and understand ourselves in light of what you've done for us in Jesus. Uh, we pray that you'll really just um, draw us closer to you as we go through the series. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, I am a Christian. Uh, that's the, probably the most common way uh, that we talk about ourselves. For those of us who are, who are Christian, I guess that's the, the, the most common way that we describe ourselves, isn't it? I'm a Christian. Um, but did you know that the word Christian only occurs three times in the entire Bible? Uh, and one time, it's uh, from the lips of a non-Christian saying, are you here to try and make me a Christian? Right? So that's uh, in the trial with Paul. Um, yeah, three times. I'm not sure if that surprises you, how, how few times the Bible used the word Christian to describe Christians. And yet it's the, the major descriptor of, of who we call ourselves. And now, the word Christian, it's kind of generic, isn't it? And kind of abstract. It's like the word Asian is very generic and abstract. Right? To me, to be called Asian could mean you're from the land of Asia. Right? You're from the land of Asia somewhere, and there's something like 13 countries or something in Asia. Or it could refer to the Asian race. Right? We're Asian by descent. It could refer to the Asian culture. Or it could refer to Asian food. Or, or it could be anything that's loosely connected with that, those things. So you put a bit of soya sauce into any food and it makes it Asian, right? It's a very generic, abstract word. Yes, the Bible says we are Christians, but it only uses the word three times because it's quite generic and abstract. Now, we also call ourselves disciples. Now, a disciple is someone who learns. So we're basically saying we're students of Jesus. We also call ourselves followers. Uh, Jesus is our leader, and we follow his ways, right? He's our guide. He's our example that we follow. And then we call ourselves believers, right? We have received a message about Jesus that we accept and we put our trust in, right? We're believers. Uh, we, also, we also call ourselves children of God, right? That God is our father and that Jesus is our brother, and we are brothers and sisters, right? All individual members of one big family. Now, these are all good and biblical description and expressions of who we are, but there's something missing about all of these things, isn't there? There's something missing. Because when you read the scriptures, we have this sense that there is something more, right, than, than, than being some generic Christ-related person, than just being a student or a follower or even a child, even as intimate as there might be. There's something more intimate that Scripture suggests that we have with God, 
something more connected, something more profound and deep. Now, even if we don't get a sense that there's something missing in what we call ourselves, certainly we feel like there's something missing in our experience as Christians in our daily lives. There's something missing in our Christian experience. Don't you ever feel like there's a gap between what you believe and how you live? You ever feel that? There's a gap between what you believe to be true, your faith, and how you actually live your life. We have head knowledge, we always say, about being a Christian, about being a disciple, about being a follower, about being a believer, about being a child of God. It is there in our heads, but, but in our hearts, it isn't always there. Perhaps often it isn't there. There is this divide, this gap. On Sundays at, at church and in fellowship groups, we, we feel connected. We feel like we really own this Christian thing. But the further and the longer we are away from church and, and the fellowship group, it could even be 10 minutes as we walk into our car, as we hit the first idiot on the road. And suddenly... That connectedness is gone as we mutter under our breath or we swear out loud, as we scold our children, as we continue on in our life that seems so separated from what we believe. You ever feel that gap? I know I do, and I know many of you do. You shared it with me, and you, you're disappointed, and you're frustrated by it. And maybe you just go, well, maybe this is the way it is. The Christian life is just something that I know and believe, but I'm not sure that I can actually live out. Maybe that's just a heavenly thing, right? A future thing. Now, what's missing? And can that gap ever be bridged? What's missing and can that gap ever be bridged? I want to suggest that what's missing is our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. One theologian calls this doctrine the most important doctrine that you've never heard of. Right? The most important doctrine you've never heard of. Now, I'm not sure that's really true. Uh, in our church here at SLE, uh, I think you have heard of union with Christ, and hopefully you heard it in the last six weeks, seven weeks, as we did 1 John. Hopefully you didn't miss this idea of abiding in Christ as he abides in us. Hopefully you didn't miss it when, when Steve was praying the pastor's prayer before. And all the way through, we have mentioned this idea of being joined to Christ. But I do believe that we haven't spoken about it enough. We haven't spent enough time, the time that we need to properly understand and reflect and apply this teaching of scriptures into our lives. Now, I hope that this series will help, we'll really come to see and understand and believe and let it really impact us to see that it really is uh, the engine room that drives not just our connection with God, but the experience of the Christian life. Union with Christ is what connects us with God's eternal purposes. It is what connects our faith and our life, our heads, and our hearts. So let me lay out for you the grand hopes that we hope to achieve in this six-week series. And it's one of those go big or go home kind of objectives, right? As they say, go big or go home, okay? So this six-week series, what is it going to try to achieve? Well, it will stretch our minds to understand what is, at the end, a divine mystery. It's going to stretch our minds to be able to grasp what is, at the end of the day, truly ungraspable. If that makes sense. But we're going to make a start on it. Okay? We're going to fathom a teaching that isn't really fathomable, but God in his goodness has revealed to us enough for us to know what we need to know, enough to be informed and reformed and transformed. Right? It's going to be something that's going to happen to our heads. So please come fresh for your brains to be stretched. This six-week series will warm our hearts 
to help it to sing with joy again at the beauty and the wonder, the comfort and the goodness of being united with Christ. This mystery isn't just for our heads, it is something to warm our hearts. This six-week series will also breathe new life and energy into our Christian conviction and walk. It will bolster our assurance that we stand right before God through Christ. It will energize our efforts to live godly and holy lives. And it will strengthen us to persevere in our trust in Jesus all the way to the end. It will bridge that gap that we so often feel. Now, This six-week series will cover the very heart of the gospel. We're talking at the very heart of the gospel here. If, if, if being a Christian sounds vague to you, if you're here seeking and searching, what does it really mean to be a Christian and should I be one? Then come along for these six weeks. You will discover that a Christian is someone who is united with Christ. And hopefully you'll come to see that this is the best news that you've ever heard. This is the best news you've ever heard. These are the aims for the six weeks. Go big or go home. We will go big and then we will go home and we'll be transformed by it. Okay? So let's dive in. Let's dive in. Now, first thing I want to start off with is this quote that's in your bulletins that I think is a really great summary for this uh, six-week series. First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. For as I have said, all that he, Jesus, possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him it is true that we obtain this by faith. So said John Calvin back in the 16th century. Right, this wonderful statement both summarizes our union with Christ, what it is, and what it, why it really matters. Right, what it is and why it really matters. Now let me begin by showing you where the Bible teaches this. Right, doctrines aren't just pulled out by theologians of the thin air. They're meant to reflect what scriptures say. So what do the scriptures say about union with Christ? Now before... Now, as I mentioned before, the word Christian is used only three times in the entire Bible, right? Three times in the entire Bible. Whereas the phrase in Christ, right, in Christ or with Christ is used 165 times in Paul's letters alone, right? In Christ or with Christ is used 165 times in Paul's letters alone. Now, if we go beyond the phrase in Christ or with Christ, to the idea of being united or joined with Christ, then you will find it throughout all the New Testament, in every gospel, in every letter written by Peter, Paul, James, or anybody else. Once our eyes are opened to the concept of union with Christ, you will see it everywhere, right? You'll see it everywhere. It's just like when you start to look to buy a new car or a second-hand car, and you're looking to buy a Corolla, Right? Anyone ever start shopping for a Corolla? And then you start realizing that just about every 10th car on the road is a Corolla. Have you realized that? You go buy a Corolla and then suddenly every 10th car, you know why? Because every 10th car on the road is a Corolla. Uh, did you know that? 1.35 million Corollas on the roads in Australia out of the 13 million cars in Australia, passenger cars. So literally you are seeing Corollas everywhere because they really are everywhere. Just like this doctrine, right? It's not a trick. That once you start looking for it, you don't have to start looking for it. It's just there on almost every page of the Bible. You will see it not just in the New Testament, 
But you'll see hinted at in the Old Testament. Obviously, the word Jesus Christ is in the Old Testament. But the concept of a Christ, a Messiah, a Savior, and being joined to him is there in the Old Testament as well. Now, what I could do now is to start from Genesis and work through the Revelation and show you union with Christ in the Bible. But that would be a 52-week sermon series, uh, which we're not going to do, right? What we're going to do this morning is just to look at one passage to start, you, start us off with to get us going. Okay? Ephesians 1 is a great place to see that union with Christ is present and a crucial reality from eternity past to the present to eternity future. So Ephesians 1, let me start reading verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now we see in verse 3, right, that every spiritual blessing that God wants to bless us with is found in Christ. But I want you to notice, what I want you to notice, firstly, is the amazing thing that's said in verse 4. That God has chosen us in Christ before even the world began. Right? From eternity past, before the world began, before time exists, God chooses us in Christ. Now, Paul says it again in uh, 2 Timothy verse 1, right? It says it the same thing in a different way. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not by our own works, but because of his purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. His purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. How amazing is that? Union with Christ is a reality that exists before even time began, before even our earthly existence, before even our parents thought of having a child, before God even created us. Now, as we continue on in Ephesians 1, we see that all... Uh, the, the, the all-importance of, of union with Christ is seen in every aspect of salvation. That there, there is nothing in, in our present salvation that exists outside of being united in Christ. So you see this in verse 5, where we are adopted uh, through Christ Jesus. Then in verse 7, that we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Where is it found? In Him, through His death. Now, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. And because of him, this is Jesus, uh, our God, right? He has given us, uh, in Jesus Christ, who became for us, or to us, wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Right? So, because of God, God has given us, in Jesus, he is the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, and the redemption for us. Now, once in a while, you should ask the question, right? Really important question. How is it that Jesus' death actually saves me? How is it that someone else dying actually saves me? Now, if you come to learn from scriptures, from God, that the punishment for our rejection of God, our life giver, our sin, means that we ought to die to pay the penalty for sin, then the question is, how can someone else die and actually pay for my sin? I'm the rebel, I'm the sinner, I'm the one that rejected God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't physically died yet. I feel like I'm dying all the time, but I haven't physically died yet. I'm not in my eternal, spiritually dead state. 
I'm not sure about you guys, but, but we, we haven't experienced death. So how can it be that our sins have been paid for, that we are forgiven? We're not saved. But God says this, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says somewhere else in, in Colossians, for, for you and I have died. Have we? How have we died? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's we, we died because Christ has died and we are in him. That's how our sins have been paid for. It's only through being united with Christ that we are saved. When our life has joined with his, where our life is hidden and covered by his death and then by his life. So that what happened to him happens to us. He was crucified for sins, not for his own sins, but for ours. That I've been placed in him as we are joined in him. So also as he is raised to life, to eternal life, because we are united with him, so we are raised to eternal life. If in Christ, who has died, then our sins have been paid for. And in Christ, who has been raised, then we too have been raised, made spiritually alive, redeemed, and forgiven. Now, if you didn't catch all that, and it still doesn't quite make sense to you, come back, right? The next two sermons about his incarnation, his becoming man, and his justifying of us in the next two sermons, we'll, we'll, we'll flesh this out, right, in great detail. But it doesn't stop there in terms of our salvation now. Read on in Ephesians 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So we see in verse 11, that in Jesus Christ we have an eternal inheritance, right? a future hope beyond this life. And how do we know we have that? There is a guarantee and a seal that is given to us, which is, his very own spirit, Jesus Christ's very own spirit that is now given to dwell in the believer. Right? So we, we have eternity future secured because we have been united with Christ as he gives us his spirit to live in us. Now, I've only really looked at one passage in the entire Bible so far to show just how important and foundational this idea, this teaching, this doctrine of union with Christ is. From eternity past to eternity future, union with Christ is what determines our identity and our destiny. It's all, it's all found in Christ. Now, in the next five sermons, we're going to focus in on, on one aspect of union with Christ each week. In case you're looking forward to it, right? It's incarnation next week. It's justification after that and sanctification. And then church, united as one body and then glory, right? The future, glorification, the, 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 the process, right? The, the entire package right, of, the, of the Christian experience is what we're going to look forward to in the next five sermons. There really is a tremendous richness to this doctrine that we must try to know and understand because it really does define who we are. It really defines salvation. It really defines life. 
both now and into the future. It really is that good. It's not one of those promises that you'll go away disappointed that you came to hear. But, but before we get into the next five weeks, I, I want to spend a bit more time talking about what is it really, right? We, 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 I'll be talking about it without really actually defining it, right? So what is it really? What does it mean to be united with Christ? Well, we, we, we hopefully are beginning to see how important and foundational it is, but what is, what is the nature of being united with Christ? What is the experience of it? Now, I want to explain it in, the first, in a simple definition to start with, right? Simply put, union with Christ is to be in Christ, just for someone to be in Christ and for Christ to be in them, right? Union with Christ is you in Christ and Christ in you, right? Very simple to say. It is you and I in Christ and Christ in me. It's really easy to say, but it's really very hard to comprehend. Now you think about it, what does it mean for me to be in Christ and for Christ to be in you? It's a mystery, and that's the right way to start. Listen to what Jesus prays for all believers uh, in John 17, just before he's crucified and raised again. Right? Let me just read this passage out for you. Jesus prays for his disciples, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they, be, they, they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now, I'm not sure if you really are taking in what Jesus is praying for, for us, when you hear these words. He speaks about joining us with him in the same way that he is joined as one with his father. Right? The, the eternal union of the eternal father and the eternal son. Jesus says, I want and I will get all of you, all of us as believers, to be joined to Jesus in the same way that the eternal father and the eternal son are joined. Right, this elevates our union with Christ truly beyond human comprehension. We are talking about eternal and divine matters here. And we are so not eternal. We are so finite. We are, we are measured in decades and we are brought into an eternal reality. Right? We, we are so not divine. We are mortal, flesh and blood, and we're being brought into a divine reality. We're being, we're being told something here that really is, at the end of the day, unfathomable. It is real, but it will be truly beyond our full human comprehension. But that's glorious, isn't it? That you're being plugged into a reality that's way beyond who you are. It's humbling, but it's glorious. How, how different would your life be if you understood that you're not just flesh and blood, that this world isn't all that there is, it's not just mundane and, and boring and pointless, but that in Christ, you're being brought into an eternal and divine reality. Mystery of mysteries filling up our minds and hearts more glorious than we'll ever know. Now, we might not be able to comprehend all of it, 
But what we can comprehend is that it is real. And in fact, I would say it's more real than anything else. It is more real than anything else. We think that the things that we can touch, the things that we can see are real. But this is eternal reality. Sure, we might not be able to touch it and see it, but it's more real than anything we can see and touch. It's part, our union with Christ is part of the eternal reality between the Father and the Son that we have been plugged into. Now, as we'll see in this six-week series and hopefully beyond for the rest of our lives, Christians have meaning and purpose beyond anyone else. Meaning and purpose beyond anyone else. Now, union with Christ is a mystery beyond full human comprehension, but so important is this reality that God gives us so many descriptions, so many metaphors, so many word pictures to explain what union with Christ is. Now, as I said before, once you start noticing it, once you've opened your eyes to this concept of union with Christ, you will find it almost everywhere in the New Testament, like a Corolla, right? It's just everywhere. And you will see it in the Old Testament as well. Now, let me just uh, kind of work through a few of these word pictures. Uh, I don't want you to think that just because they're a metaphor or a word picture that it, that it isn't real, right? Um, sometimes when something is, is beyond understanding, we need metaphors to help us to be able to plug into the reality. But there is a reality behind these pictures that we need to grasp, all right? Now, we see a union with Christ in two broad ways. It, it, it comes, it, it's connected with that little simple definition. One picture is about how we are in Christ. And the other body of pictures is how Christ is in us. Okay? So there's one big body of description and word pictures about how we are in Christ. And then there's another body of pictures and descriptions about how Christ is in us. So let's start with the first one, how we are in Christ. Now, Jesus summarizes this kind of two aspects in, in John. Abide in me and I in you. Okay? So you see this all over the place in John's gospel. Abide in me and I in you. All right? This is two, the two sides of this united with Christ's coin. Now, the first thing about being in Christ is this idea of being a representative, right? That Christ is our representative. What happens to him happens to us because we are in him. Now, we see the beginnings of this all the way back in the Old Testament in many places, but I guess most famously for us in the picture, in the story, in the, the reality of David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath, many of you know this. David fighting Goliath on behalf of God's people, Israel. So this picture is great because you've got Goliath there, you've got David, but you see Israel. So lined up behind David. And, and when David beats, defeats Goliath, it isn't just David who wins. We are told that it is Israel who wins. Not because Israel fought, but because their representative fought and won. It's like us uh, football fans. You know, did you hear about last night? Sorry, Chris, you might want to close your ears now. Because we beat you, right? <laughs> Liverpool beat Arsenal this morning at 3. Okay? So I got up a little bit earlier, I must admit, and I kind of fast-forwarded through the game. And 1-0, 2-0, 3-nil we scored. But then finally... <laughs> We let in that last goal, which was so disappointing. No clean sheets for, for us this season yet. We talk about things like that, right? I mean, I, I'm not Liverpool. Right? I, I wasn't uh, Salah who scored the two goals. But we talk like that because that's our team. They represent us. They might be a thousand miles away, 
But I'm happy this morning and Chris isn't, right? As if we were Liverpool and Arsenal. You see, we, we see these with Jesus in the verses that I read out before, right? 1 Corinthians 1.30, we get this, this strong idea of representation. 1 Corinthians 1, right? Because of him, God, uh, you and I are in Christ Jesus, who becomes for us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. When you think about that, we, we are not wise. You and I are not wise. We are sinful fools who turn our backs on God. We are not righteous. No one is. We are not holy, being stained by corruption and sin, and we could not redeem ourselves, having nothing to offer God that could take away the penalty for the sins that we have committed. We are none of those things. But Christ is wise. He is wisdom personified. He is the one who executes perfectly the wisdom of God's salvation plan. Christ was perfectly righteous, being obedient to his Father, even unto death on the cross. He was set apart wholly for God's purposes, and he fulfilled God's holy purposes. And because of this, Jesus alone was qualified, the only one in all of human history, to be our Redeemer, to pay the redemption price that sin demands. How do we get what Christ is and does? By being in him, by having him as our representative, by joining to him. So that because he wins, we win. That's the first big picture. Now the second picture that we see, which is also a beautiful one, is a picture of a vehicle. Now they didn't have planes in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Let's make that clear. But it's a picture of, of where Jesus is, there we are, right? Where Jesus goes, there we will go. Now it's just like being in a plane. It gets us where we want to go when we're in the plane. You get on top of the plane, and when it takes off, you fall off. Right? If you're trying to follow the plane, you run down the runway and then choo, the plane flies away from you. You can't be beside the plane because you can't fly, so you need the plane. You've got to be inside the plane so that wherever the plane goes, you go. Now, exactly how this happens, metaphysically, we don't know. But it's the picture of where he goes, we go. When he goes into the grave, so we go. As he rises up from the grave and goes into the heavenly places at the very right hand of God, there we are. Ephesians 1, right? We, we're there at the very right hand of God because we are in Christ as our vehicle. Where he goes, we go. Then there's the agricultural picture of us as branches grafted into the vine. Right? He's the vine, that main branch there, that main trunk, and we are the branches that grow out of it. There's an organic connection, a life-giving connection. There's the picture of clothing. Just like the cloak of invisibility made the wearer invisible, so putting on Christ covers us with his righteousness, with his holiness, with his redeeming blood. There's a picture of marriage. All through the Bible, the husband and the wife, we are told, the mystery of two individuals being joined together as one flesh. That beautiful picture from Genesis 2 and the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5, this mystery points to a greater mystery, which is Christ and us, his church, joined together as one flesh of this intimacy that we share, that the human husband and wife, the most perfect human marriages, marriages only hint at the kind of intimacy that we have with Jesus. Then there's the imagery of the body, where Jesus is the head and we are the body. And there's nothing more vital than the head to the body. 
this vital connection, this intimate connection, this, this organic connection, this location connection, this representational connection, and, and so on. The Bible has so many pictures to describe this mysterious but real and beautiful union that we have with Christ. Now, there's so many more about this picture of being in Christ, but let's move on for now to Christ in us. And this will be a bit shorter, Christ in us. We see this picture also back in Ephesians 1, right? We've already heard how Jesus' very own spirit dwells in those who are saved, right? It is Jesus' own spirit who dwells in us. We must never think of the Holy Spirit apart from Jesus Christ because it is the spirit of Jesus who dwells in us. This means that all of who Christ is and all that Christ has done is being worked out inside of us. The Holy Spirit isn't doing anything except what Christ is doing. Any sense? Right? We don't have to go figure out some special spirit thing that he's doing. He's only doing what Christ is and is done and is doing in us. Right? Jesus Christ is the one who shows us what it means to be truly human. Right? He is the one who is truly human, and, and he lives in us to help us to become truly human, to live a life under God and what that really looks like, what, what blessing and goodness really means as he works out his blessings through us. This Jesus dwells in us by his spirit. But you see, we don't only just have his presence, but we have his power. We are changed, truly, because he dwells in us, but we are also changing, truly changing to become more like him. Day by day. Now, I want you to think about uh, two superheroes. They're really big at the moment, aren't they? Uh, especially because Steve loves them so much. They get a mention a lot. So I thought I'd get in on the superhero action. I want you to think about uh, Iron Man and Spider-Man, right? Now, Iron Man on the left there is a billionaire with unlimited access to funds and gadgets. His superpower is basically that he is rich, okay? His superpower is that he is uber rich. He's got all this money and all this stuff. Spider-Man, however, is a nobody, an orphan kid left with hardly any external resources. But he's a superhero because he was bitten by a radioactive spider, and radioactive spidery stuff now kind of flows through his blood. And so his superpower comes from within. Now, I know we all want to be Iron Man. I know. Steve wants to be Captain America, right? So I guess we could have had Captain America there because Captain America also has superpower uber stuff running through his veins. Oh, we, that's what we are, right? We're, we're more like Spider-Man and, and Captain America than we are like Iron Man. Being a Christian isn't to have external resources, to have an external savior. It is to have the greatest power, more accurately, the, the greatest, most powerful one dwelling in us. Christ in you and Christ in me makes us more like Spider-Man. We have this incredible resource by which to live our lives, to know ourselves, and to help each other come to truly know who they are. Now, one of the reasons why all the descriptions that we usually call ourselves seem lacking is because they have this problem of conveying that Christianity is external to us, that it's stuff from the outside that somehow is somewhat related to us. You know, that we are Christian because we are connected to Christian-y things. And it's all vague. 
and abstract. Now, it's not wrong, wrong to think of yourself as a Christian, but it's not enough. Right? It's a bit too external. Perhaps our faith consists of a vague sense of the things of Christ that we've heard about and that we associate with loosely. It's no wonder that there is a gap. Because you're not really sure what all this stuff is meant to be about for me. Now, some of us here have a strong sense, right? A real understanding of all that God has done through Jesus Christ. We even know and believe that Jesus has done all these things for us. And we accept these gifts with gratefulness and with love and with joy. But if being in Christ and Christ in us is missing, if union with Christ isn't the foundation of our thinking and conviction and experience, then something will always be missing. Many of us here have been Christians a long time, and we are very well versed in scriptures and in the Bible, and we've walked with Jesus a long time, and we do feel connected. But if you still feel like something's missing, it's because maybe you haven't really, really interacted with the fact that Christ is in you and you are in him. Maybe that's the missing foundational ingredient. You see, what God wants for us isn't just to receive what Christ has done for us. In fact, I want to say that it's impossible to receive what he has done for us without actually receiving him. To have faith, to be a Christian, is to have Christ in you and you in him. Not just to receive his gifts. Not to receive his works, but to receive him. Jesus is not a savior working outside of us. He is the Savior who dwells inside. If you're going to forget everything I said today, outside, pow, pow, right? Inside, yes. That's all you remember. Not outside, inside. Christ in us and us in him. This, my brothers and sisters, is what it means to be a Christian. This is what the Christian faith is. This is what it means to be saved. To know that you're in him and he in you. Let me repeat what John Calvin says again, right? Because I think it's a great quote. We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, we are separated from him. All that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. For as I've said, all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. It is true that we obtain this by faith. This is what faith is. To be found in him and him in us. Now can you imagine for a moment just how glorious and transformative it would be if we were to be aware at every given moment that this is true. During this week, I, uh, I changed the, um, the, the, the wallpaper on my screen and on my what do you call it? The one, the, the lock screen, and then the main screen, home screen, okay? I'm getting old, man. I can't remember these terms anymore. <laughs> okay, the reason is because I often pick up my phone as one of the first things I do in the morning. And I wanted to remind myself, so I went searching. Union with Christ wallpaper, in Christ wallpaper, Christian wallpaper, and try to find something that will remind me the very moment I wake up that Christ is with me and I'm in him. And you know what? It's made a difference. It's made a difference, right? And I, sometimes I try to ignore it, and I like sweep to my app straight away to go to look at Chrome or Facebook or whatever nonsense I want to read. But I'm so glad it's there because it's a reminder. And it's starting to transform the way I wake up. 
transform the way I live each day. Can you imagine how much a growing and greater awareness of this reality will narrow the gap between faith and life, between head and heart, to, have, to know that your life is hidden with Christ, defined by Christ, means our fundamental life worries and our hang-ups will be resolved. You wake up in the morning and you're wondering, who am I? Who am I? Am I of any worth? Am I, am I lovable? What if I don't achieve today? What if I'm not chosen for that sporting team at lunchtime? What if uh, my assignment doesn't go so well? What if my group members and my colleagues don't like me today? What if I say something wrong? What if I make wrong choices? Who am I then? You don't answer that question. Where am I headed? What am I supposed to do with my life? What if the things that I do in this life doesn't work out? Or they don't matter? Or in fact, they fail? How will I know where I'm headed? Well, in Christ, you know. What if you ask the question, what, what, can I, what am I here for? What is the purpose of my life? What can I hope for? What does the future hold? In your dying breaths, as you are wrecked with cancer or as you struggle with that heart problem, and you're wondering, is there something beyond this life? Is there something to hold on to? See, all these big questions of life, union with Christ answers them all. All of them, every single one of these big questions in life. And you've got to realize the big questions impact all the small questions in life. They're all answered by being joined to Christ. Now, I told you that I was going to aim big. And it doesn't get any bigger than this. And obviously, six sermons won't be enough. I hope you can see that. But if you can't really quite see how this really informs and reforms and transforms us yet, don't worry, keep coming back. Keep listening to these sermons. Keep reading your scriptures where Christ, being united with him, is everywhere. Keep on pressing on. Union with Christ is a lifelong journey of discovery and application. Lifelong journey of discovery and application. The deeper and the deeper that we go, the closer and closer that gap of faith and life will be, of head and heart will be. It will be a glorious journey experiencing more of the union that we have with Christ now already. But just like any great marriage or relationship, it will only get better. The best days are to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your ways and your truths are way beyond our ways and truths, for you are eternal and divine and we are finite and mortal. Yet by your amazing grace, your amazing grace, you reveal to us truths that are beyond comprehension. And yet what we understand is enough to blow our minds and to give us real comfort and assurance and meaning and purpose. We thank you so much that union with Christ is at the center of your purposes and plans. That union with Christ is how we can truly know that you love us. How we can know who we truly are, why we are here in this world, what eternity holds, what we can hope for. 
It really is an all-encompassing foundational truth that we pray Christ's spirit in us would reveal more and more to our heads in understanding, but also to our hearts and out into our lives. We pray to you feeling the frustration and even the grief and the, and the, and the sadness of having a gap between what we know to be true, what we trust, and the experience of the Christian life. Lord, we thank you that you are in the, the, doing the work of, of closing that gap, helping to see that we have resources within, as Christ's Spirit dwells with us, that we never realized we had, that perhaps we have been, 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 been shunting his work, not letting him help us realize just how intimate you are to us. We pray each day, each morning as we wake up, throughout the course of the day, remind us that we are in Christ and he is in us. Inform us and reform us and transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name.